Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a hot topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. CEimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. Hello and welcome once again to another edition of Game Changers uh, Clinical Conversations. My name is Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University, um, and I want to welcome you again to uh, another episode. Hopefully, uh, as always, you find this uh, both semi-entertaining and semi-informative, and, and uh, we'll, we'll utilize the data that we have, because that's always our goal here at, at, at Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Uh, whether this is your first time, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome as well. Please head on over to where you uh, listen to podcasts, like us, subscribe to us, and if you get a chance, head over to CE Impact, who is our sponsor, and take a look at all the great uh, CE programs they have for pharmacists. And uh, again, if uh, in particular for this program, if you want to get some CE for this program, all you got to do is sign up for, for, for their uh, very affordable program there and listen to us on your way to work. Come on into uh, from your way to work after having listened to me for 20 minutes, which I'm sure is pretty painful. But then uh, you know, fill out the paperwork, answer the questions, you're ready to roll, and you, and you get your CE for just uh, listening to somebody in the car. So I think I, don't, I can't think of an easy easier way to really do things. But fortunately today, you do not need to listen to me, even mostly because uh, I am fortunate to have uh, my frequent uh, guest star, uh, Jay Galdo from uh, CE Impact, uh, who's with us. And as, as you know, he's w- with uh, CE Impact, but also an experienced clinical pharmacist. And he actually suggested this as a, as a game changer topic. And uh, I'm glad he did he, uh, because this is not only important, I think, for, for, for community pharmacists and prescribers, but I think for hospital pharmacists and prescribers. And uh, it's, it's talking about uh, SGL2 drugs, again, <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems like there's a flurry of, 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 of literature coming out there looking at, at, at SGL2 drugs. Uh, but this is a, a paper that he pointed out that I think is, is very important. So I appreciate Jake being here. And and I'll talk a little bit about the paper. And then, uh, then uh, Jake, uh, uh, welcome, as always, to see to uh, Game Changers. Uh, we'll have you, uh, uh, you kind of give us your thoughts on it. We can kind of talk about it, if that sounds good to you. Sounds perfect. Thanks, Jeff. All right. And so, again, welcome, Jake, to this. So the, the paper he recommended is a paper from JAMA uh, Cardiology that is uh, pretty much hot off the press. It was actually published in October 7, 2020, so you can't get much more hot off the press uh, as of this taping than that. And uh, it's it's called Association of SGL2 Inhibitors with Cardiovascular and Kidney Outcomes in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes, and this is a meta-analysis. And so this has garnered some uh, degree of, of, of interest from uh, people I know and, 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 and 
some evidence, some stuff even in the lay media, because this was kind of designed to say, okay, you know, we have now multiple studies looking at the individual SGL2 drugs uh, that are, of course, FDA approved for type 2 diabetes, um, um, uh, looking at them and their cardiovascular outcomes, because again, we know that that the in, several individual studies have found that the that the individual SGL2 drugs have been associated with 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 improved cardiovascular outcomes. They've also been improved uh, with with improved kidney outcomes, including delayed dialysis and, and things along those lines. And so the question is, you know, trying to answer that all important question: Is this a class effect? So basically, if we if we use a meta analytic techniques to bring all this stuff together, uh, can we kind of conclude from that that no, these all pretty much work the same, and it's basically you know whichever one you want to pick to do. And and so the paper itself, you know, was a kind of a standard systematic review and meta analysis. Uh, they they uh, ended up with with six randomized control trials of the SGL2 drugs, uh, looking at at, at uh, cardiovascular kidney outcomes, um, and and uh, basically found that they didn't exactly have a complete homogeneity between the, di the the different studies and and so you know they did certainly find that 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 there was uh, some benefit with 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 all of these drugs uh, but it, but we'll talk a little bit about some of the differences uh, they did probably find a benefit uh, with reduction of heart failure uh, hospitalizations pretty much across the board and some benefit for kidney wise but there was not nearly the synchronicity of, of data that I suspect a lot of people were expecting to see with with this study so then the question comes up is this a good study is there a problem with this study and uh jake uh my 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 trusty co-star what do you think about this uh this paper well thanks jeff and thanks for uh, letting us have this conversation and you know i was super excited to read about this this kind of area within healthcare is something that i've been really passionate about for a while now um from a quality in healthcare perspective, because we often think about quality as like, are they on the appropriate therapy? And as soon as we started to see the guidelines shift in this direction, it jumped out as a great area for a new quality measure to drive practice. No longer are we just talking about our patients with diabetes on a stand drug, is it our patients on diabetes on appropriate therapy? And so I think before we kind of talk about this trial specifically, it's good to do, you know, a rapid-fire refresher on our diabetes guidelines. And that That's is good. important because our authors actually kind of refer back to it at the end of the study. And so with our ADA guidelines, let's just go out there and say metformin and then, you know, ideally exercise and, and diet, but, you know, metformin. Right. So uh, after our three months, metformin's not working as much. Uh, our A1C is still elevated. We want to augment therapy. And this is where the guidelines changed, I want to say about two years ago, and it was a really significant change because it went away from this just pick a drug based on patient characteristics, like do they want an injection, not injection, do they want to lose weight, not lose weight. All of a sudden, our guidelines are now saying after metformin, depending on comorbid conditions, you shall get X therapy. Right. And that comorbid condition was this emphasis on atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or ASCVD, and chronic kidney disease slash heart failure. And I think that that bifurcation, particularly with that asterisk on heart failure, is the biggest nuance and the biggest thing that we want to call out because it influences how we read this uh, article, but it also helps us better understand place in therapy. And I think the, the big aspect about that is when you look into the literature and you say, like, what the heck is ASCVD? Um, and if you were to create a value set, so a value set within qua healthcare quality is really the, the, the list of conditions that correlate to, to that 
top part, right? So right. like what are the medical conditions that say someone has ASCVD? And really it gets broken into three buckets, coronary heart disease, cerebrovascular disease, and then peripheral arterial disease assumed of atherosclerotic origin. That's like personally my favorite because I love looking at patients and assuming they have <laughs> peripheral arterial disease because of atherosclerotic origin. Right. Um, and so then you 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 kind of make this composite like this person has ASCVD because of these things, and the biggest flag is heart failure is not part of that. I'm going to reemphasize this because I think it's so important. Heart failure is not ASCVD. Right. Well, it makes sense and because has, again. You know, you're exactly right because I mean it makes sense that you know while a lot of heart failure is ischemic in origin, uh, significant. In fact, you know probably as many patients who have heart failure have a not have non-ischemic uh, heart failure. So you're exactly right. I mean that makes complete sense that you would not want to put it in any of those buckets. So awesome, and, and and that's that's the transformative aspect about this because all of a sudden we're saying if a patient has ASCVD, get these drugs, but they're specific drugs with known benefit based on the primary literature. Right. And then the other side is, if the patient has heart failure, get these other drugs, and it's like a little bit of a Venn diagram. There's some overlap, but not all overlap, because there's demonstrated benefit. And so that's why this, this study is so exciting, because it really is this idea of a class effect and whether or not that really exists. And it really doesn't show that it doesn't exist. Right. So, so when we think about it, the other aspect that jumps out to me within this trial, uh, before we start talking about what, uh, what primary literature they pulled and how they did and everything, so they used some really funky stats. And, and in my notes, I said, funky stats, kick the conversation to Jeff for him to explain it. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. then uh, I don't think that you even want to explain these funky yeah, stats. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, meta-analytic techniques are, are, are pretty complex to begin with, but but they, you know, they did set a standard kind of fixed fixed effects meta-analytic technique, which is pretty common. But what was what what was less common, and 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 Jake and I talked about this beforehand. Uh, they use some some unusual tests, and again, it doesn't mean they're wrong tests. They're just unusual tests for for example to determine heterogeneity, which is for for those of you who don't read a lot of meta-analyses. One of the most important things you want to read when when you read a, the results of an analysis is how heterogeneous, how, how, what, what's like, What's the data and how heterogeneous is it? So basically, you know, when you when you slam together six, eight, ten studies, uh, how similar were the patients? How similar were the outcomes? Because again, if you start mixing a bunch of studies together and trying to, to find one common outcome from them, but the 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 studies were, more, were much different in 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 the patients they looked at and the design or in the results, um, uh, that means that the that the studies themselves have a lot of heterogeneity between them, and that doesn't again so doesn't doesn't invalidate the results, but uh, certainly if you've got a study that has huge heterogeneity, I think you're less sure about the results than a study that has low heterogeneity. And so uh, uh, in this study, yeah, you're, you're right. They, they picked a, a, a technique to determine that that I had not heard of before. Again, it doesn't mean it's wrong or anything, but as I always tell my students, you know, you know, when, whenever you see a, a clinic, uh, reading a clinical study and you, and you see a, a, a 
a, a, a stat uh, test that they use, and you're just like, "Wow, I've never heard of that before." It doesn't again doesn't mean it's wrong. Maybe that's what they thought was the best one, but but did you know it, it does raise a bit of a red flag? Did they try what we would consider to be a standard test, and they didn't find a statistical significance, so they tried another test that you know that's less well known and did find a statistical significance? Again, I don't think either Jake and I are are are, are saying that's happening here, but it's something to think about. I think as, as you're reading any really clinical study and certainly meta analyses. So yep, that's that that's what I have on that, Jake. <laughs> so much more than me. The best I got is, did this have the Galdo Wall statistical test? No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, right. And and so what it is, they use these these fancy statistics. I'll, I'll use the other F word instead of funky, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, they use their statistics <laughs> to, to to compare all these trials. And what they did is they said, let's look at any trial that had an SGLT2 involved. And they found like 160 trials, and then they whittled it down to five. And so, again, I'm just like, we, we had a lot of data, and now all of a sudden we're down to five. And those five trials are the Empareg from Bagliflozin, Canvas, which was Canagliflozin, Declare Timmy 58 to Bagliflozin, Credence, which is another Canagliflozin, and the Virtus CV, which was Regertoflozin. So all of a sudden we have kind of five trials, and even within those trials, as you've been pointing out, Jeff, a couple times, the, the study population was different. And I'm going to, again, lean heavily on this idea of ASCVD. When we look at the EMPA-REG trial, which is the, the first one that really came out within this class to say that uh, SGLT2s have cardiovascular benefit, 100% of that population in that study had established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And when we look at some of these other ones, like declared TIMI uh, 58, all of a sudden that ASCVD population was 40 50%. So our, our populations are, are very different, very mixed in regards to cardiovascular risk. And so then they started saying, well, well, how does this work? Like, what, what's this look like? And they really defined cardiovascular risk as the, the three-point mace, major adverse cardiovascular events. And so that's our overall death, cardiovascular death, and, and stroke. And they wanted to say, uh, does this help there? And they kind of got mixed results. Right. What's really interesting is, like, across the board, when we looked at the composite, the, what they called their, their fixed effect, where they combined data from all five trials, every single time, give or take, it was significant showing benefit for individuals on the SGLT2 class. But as soon as you look at their, their graphs, you start to see that oftentimes there is only one trial that was super beneficial. That was the only one that's statistically significant. The four other trials, maybe not statistically significant. They showed no difference. But because that one was so heavily beneficial, it almost skewed the entire set of data. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, again, uh, people, you know, who read a lot of these would say, well, you know, of course, that's the point, you know, I mean, you know, do you know, you've got, you know, one study that and, and that plays into the heterogeneity as well, right? You know, that you've got one study that shows just a, a completely outsized benefit that the other studies, you know, even if they're, they're neutral studies, won't be enough, you know, to, to basically pull things kind of back to, to kind of a, a, an equilibrium, if you will. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that it's a, it's a good point. And, and again, Pointing out the fact that that I think a lot of people were, were hoping to read the study, especially if you're working in say, you know, PBMs or you're working for for uh, insurance companies, and saying to yourself, well, if this 
paper comes out and shows they all work equally, you know, we can assume a class effect and then basically we can, you know, really kind of, you know, drive everybody to one SGL2 drug and not cover the other ones because it doesn't matter, right? And so, you know, the fact that 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 wasn't really shown here and that even even taking a look at that 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 the overall benefit, you know, wasn't enough to to make that, I think plays a role. So absolutely. And as you pointed out, you know, the, all these studies nowadays use, you know, major adverse cardiac events, right? Mace, I've heard many experts in in the field of cardiology, you know, kind of bemoan this because it's like, you know, it's kind of become the, the, the standard of almost all cardiovascular trials, no matter really what you're looking at. And, you know, one of the big, big concerns about when you're using MACE is, you know, of course we use MACE because it allows us to use fewer patients. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're not looking at one particular outcome, you're combining a whole bunch of different outcomes. So it makes it easier to, to recruit patients for the study and look at outcomes. But the strike of course, is that you're, you're making the assumption in all these studies that every outcome is equally important to the patient. And again, cardiovascular death versus stroke, maybe, maybe not, right? And and some studies are, are you will use MACE outcomes that are even more kind of squishy, like, you know, you needed to go to the cath lab, that's considered a MACE outcome. Well, you know, cardiovascular death or needing to go to the, to the cath lab, those are two pretty big different things there. So, yep. So, I love it. And, yeah. and I think it's just, it's so fascinating because this helps us kind of better understand what's going on. So to your point, let's ignore the kind of MACE outcome and let's look at the, the effect of SGLT2s on cardiovascular uh, deaths. Right. When we look at overall death without stratifying by ASCVD status, again, the EMPA-REG trial was the only one that favored treatment. The four other trials were actually uh, no different, yet that right. overall outcome kind of pushed towards it. Right. And then if we flip it, and we say, what's the effect of an SGLT2 on hospitalizations for heart failure? All five trials showed benefit. And, and given that, that, that to me is powerful. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And and given now that we, you know, might get, you know, we now have, I, I forget which one of these is actually now FDA approved for for heart failure, even patients without. Uh, 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 type two diabetes. So, you know, I think this 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 brings that that hammers that point home even more so that we now might see SGL two drugs as one of the standards is you know in patients with heart failure whether or not they have diabetes. So it's good to see that that all five of these studies found that benefit. I I totally agree with you. So we're not chronic kidney disease. What do what do you think about that? You know, it was kind of interesting. That was going to be the next area that we jumped into with chronic kidney disease. We did see primarily that it was beneficial across the board. Um, what's kind of fascinating is, again, we had five trials with three agents, and we saw a couple agents that were repeated within their trials. And again, it does seem to be more kind of uh, drug-specific than overall class. Like, again, right. we might say maybe class. If I, were to, if I were to prioritize them of what is class effect, I'd probably say hospitalizations to heart failure, then CKD, and then MACE. To me, the, the major kind of takeaway from this is almost verbatim what the author said. Let's continue with focusing on what the guidelines recommend. The guidelines recommend identify the comorbid condition and then prioritize therapy, and that's the key word, prioritize therapy based off of the primary literature that has demonstrated benefit. Because right. I think that that's, it's, it's ultimately like a Venn diagram, maybe even like a three-way Venn diagram of does the patient have ASCVD, what drugs show benefit, do they have heart failure? What drugs show benefit? And do they have chronic kidney disease? What drugs show benefit? And are there overlapping? And ultimately, it becomes a really a, a patient-provider kind of conversation on what's the best option. 
Right. I agree with that. And, and you're right. I think, I think that was, you know, if, if there was kind of a seismic shift in the guidelines, that that's exactly what it was, is that, you know, really for the first time, you know, the ADA certainly, uh, you know, you know, did say, you know, we, we, we have to take a look, not just at A1C anymore. We, we have to take, you know, we have to take a look at, at the other comorbidities uh, and, and see what their best drug is. And so, you know, so I guess, you know, two questions for you as a community pharmacist, one, you know, uh, you know, we have, you know, these five drugs that were uh, studied in, in the various studies, you know, I'm assuming you see a bit of, of empagaflozin and canagaflozin. Do, do you see much of the others? You know, it, it is mostly empagaflozin uh, and canagaflozin. It's probably empagaflozin most, maybe a little bit of canagaflozin. The one that I think is a good call out is debagaflozin. That's the one that's indicated for heart failure. That's the one that has a lot of data, even within this kind of trial looking at heart failure hospitalizations. So when I think about my Venn diagram, ASCVD, canagaflozin, empagaflozin, heart failure, debagaflozin, hands down. And probably not much of a, a role for the one that I ain't gonna lie, I didn't read the study. So Ertugaflozin, never heard of it, never read the paper, so I couldn't even tell you anything about it. <laughs> yeah, not gonna lie, you know. Um, so then we'll, I guess we'll, we'll go with our priority again. It's yeah. the bottom of the list. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but I guess the other piece then is 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 as as someone who probably you know works with these patients, of course, you know, cost is going to be an issue, and you know, making sure that they can afford it and all that sort of stuff. You know, if you take that out of the equation, you know, you have to wonder in 10 years or, or, or 15 years when these drugs have been, you know, generic for a while and the cost has come way down or, or, or whatever, you know, will we look back and go, wow, we used to put people on, you know, sulfonylureas and, and, and glitazones and all these drugs that seem to fix the numbers but didn't really actually improve outcomes? And, and boy, I can't believe we did that. And, and, you know, it, it, it certainly makes it between that and, and certainly what I've seen in my world, which is, a, it seems like, a, you know, a, a, an ever, an ever steady stream of people on, on who are over age 80 on sulfonylureas or have some degree of, of chronic kidney disease on, on sulfonylureas who get into trouble with hypoglycemia. And I probably don't go more than a, more than two or three months on my medicine service without somebody admitted to my service for, for hypoglycemia because of that. Um, you know, it, it, you have to make, you'd have to wonder is 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 that way of thinking and saying okay look you know yes we're not saying it's not important what their a1c is of course it's, it's critically important what their a1c is but we, but it's just a number and we and we and we we assume that number is associated with a decrease in in particularly microvascular complications and i think that was always the piece that always kind of surprised my students when i talk about diabetes with them is that you know a1c is is very very closely associated with microvascular complications of, 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 of diabetes. And the lower your A1C, the less chance you have of getting retinopathy, the less chance of you getting neuropathy, the less chance of you having kidney failure. Um, but only metformin had really, up until these studies had come out and some of the, some of the uh, GOP studies had come out, only metformin is the one in the, in the UK PDS study that had ever really shown a, a benefit in macrovascular complications, and that was in, in, in uh, heart attacks. And so, you know, this really is a seismic shift, you know, in the way we think about, about these uh, the treatment of diabetes and I think you know uh, the, 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 the therapies we're going to put them on 
Um, and, and I think again, as pharmacists, you know, obviously our big role here is obviously going to be looking for side effects. And, and I ain't going to lie. I have seen four or five cases now of, of euglycemic DKA on these medications. Uh, I never thought I would see that when I read it, I didn't really understand it, but we've actually had, you know, at least five cases where people are coming in and their sugars are 180, 190, and they're in fulminate, uh, uh, ketoacidosis or uh, yeah, ketoacidosis. And, uh, we did have one very unfortunate case of a foreigners gangrene in a patient who had been on this. So, I mean, you know, they, 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 these aren't perfect drugs. They don't have side effects or anything along those lines. I mean, they do. And I think as pharmacists, we need to watch out for that. But I think, you know, based on your, your, your cogent analysis, it shows that in the vast majority of these people who have established cardiovascular disease, uh, who have you know, chronic kidney disease, that the benefit is just going to far outweigh the risk. And, and I'm sure I haven't read cost effectiveness studies, but I would be floored if these kind of drugs, you know, would not be considered cost effective given the uh, outcomes they avoid. So I agree a hundred percent. Couldn't actually say it any better. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to end on what Jeff said. Okay, good. So, well, so, you know, so again, you know, an interesting paper. And I, again, I appreciate Jake bringing it to, to, to all our attention here, Game Changers. And, and uh, as always, I, I want to thank him for his cogent analysis. Again, a great, great review of this paper. And I always appreciate his, uh, his uh, uh, viewpoint as a, you know, not only someone who kind of works with, you know, 30,000 foot outcome stuff, but his work as a, a boots on the ground community pharmacist, because you definitely see some of this ambulatory stuff more than I do. So uh, we'll wrap things up in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So I joked with Jake. Uh, in fact, I think when I filled out the paperwork for this for this uh, podcast episode, I said, you know, are, are SGL2 drugs going to be the statins of the 21st century? And I think we're already there. I think uh, uh, we're, we're finding that that they seem to benefit in, in a wide variety of patients. But uh, as this meta-analysis points out, I don't think we can quite make the assumption yet that we now currently do with statins that it isn't really which statin you necessarily pick; it's the dose you pick, right? It's 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 what intensity of dosing really seems to have the benefit. I don't think we are, we're quite there. I don't think this meta-analysis really tells us that. And, and I agree with, with, with uh, Jake's uh, assessment entirely that, that, you know, picking these drugs is largely going to be based on that Venn diagram of, you know, what is their concomitant mor- comorbidities? Of course, it's also going to play a big role what their insurance company is going to cover. Uh, but it, it, is, it is worth noting that as of yet, we don't know these drugs are completely equal in all their cardiovascular outcomes. Uh, they do seem to have uh, uh, pretty much a across the board benefit with heart failure, and they at least seem to have a, a much more synchronicity as far as chronic kidney disease. But no matter how you slice it, it's going to be hard to, to, to argue now against the guidelines that would suggest basically that that a large segment of especially your older patients with type 2 diabetes who have established coronary disease, who have established heart failure, who have established uh, chronic kidney disease, really 
you know, should be on these uh, drugs. And it's, it's going to be, in my opinion, pretty hard to argue, except from a cost perspective, that, that these aren't really some of the drugs of choice for them. So anyway, so thanks very much for listening uh, to another episode of, of Game Changers. Again, please like us wherever you, you listen. Please uh, spread the word. Uh, head on over to CE Impact. Uh, get, some, get some credit for these, for these talks. I'd appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch you next time. And remember that time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll catch you next week.